Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your returning host, as always, Liam Edwards, and I welcome you to the 49th episode of the show. We're just on the cusp of 50 episodes now, which is absolutely crazy. And the word crazy, I think, quite aptly describes a part of what my guest who joins me this week creates. My guest this week runs a game studio out of Berkeley, California. Or, as his website puts it, it's actually just a dude based out of Berkeley, California. My guest's independent studio is called Twinbeard, and for anyone who knows this studio, also knows it's synonymous with one very unique and crazy game, and its very hidden sequel. On October 25th, 2012, my guest released a browser-based game he'd been working on called Frog Fractions. From there, he pretty much destroyed the gaming industry for a few days, as this on-the-surface, seemingly innocent bug-catching game spread like wildfire. A game in which Rock Paper Shotgun called possibly the greatest game of all time. The mysteries of the game and its secrets, I don't want to spoil too much for you, as it really is something you have to experience yourself, but it's safe to say people very much enjoyed it, sparking a sequel idea with which my guest used Kickstarter as a platform to create, but with the caveat of not telling people when it was going to be released or where, <laughs> which <laughs> is such an amazing business decision to me. <laughs> my guest this week and his games are also the subject of former Final Games guest Danny O'Dwyer's most recent no-clip documentary series. I'm very excited to say that the mind behind Frog Fractions and my guest for this week is the excellent Mr. Jim Crawford. Hello, Jim. Hi. How are you doing today, sir? I'm feeling pretty good. It's excellent to have you here and I think quite fresh in my mind as well uh, due to Danny's uh, no-clip documentaries that recently released, which were absolutely fascinating, sir. Oh, fascinating. Awesome. Um have you have you watched the documentaries back since they were released? Uh, I I watched the um I watched the second one because that was the one I was more interested in seeing how it turned out. The one about Frog Fractions too. Yeah. Uh, the first one I still haven't um gotten around to watching, so I don't know if I come across it as an idiot in that one. No, not at all. It's just absolutely oh, fascinating the story of both games. Um, obviously the games themselves are. Uh, almost undescribable it's <laughs> as as the the documentary quite well puts it the, the the mystery you don't want to give away so it's hard to explain to people both why they should play the game and both why they should watch the documentary um but <laughs> it's absolutely fascinating and the way you came about making frog fractions one and then the ideas you had for Frog Fractions 2 with the augmented reality game and the the spawning ideas for that. Just crazy. I've never heard of anything like that for a game developer before, which is super fascinating to watch. Um, you yeah, yourself, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I could imagine. Absolutely. Um, so you yourself watching the second one back about Frog Fractions 2, um, has it sort of... Have, did you think oh maybe i should have done this a little different or that seems a little weird maybe to people and i don't know in Just, terms of what i said in the documentary no kind of like in a reflection kind of way oh More like yeah, it's I, laid out to, to you like this is exactly how the story of frog fractions 2 is do you think oh actually huh i never really thought of it like that like oh that was the back of my mind or in reflection kind of way yeah, so I forget how much I went into this in the documentary itself, um, but uh, the way I constructed Frog Fractions 2, just the, the, the making of process, it didn't really, 
I never really had a story in mind. And I don't, I'm not really a very, very story oriented person, but uh, I do think that one of the um, things that was great about the first game is that it had at least some sort of story arc about a couple of characters that were friends. Um, it was basically a buddy comedy, purely by accident. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, and the second game, there's nothing. Like, we, there's a little bit of that because we tried to, like, I noticed, like, halfway through development, like, this is really inco- incohesive. Um, and we put some work into um, trying to make it a more of a whole, more of, like, a complete um, package. Tying um, it together kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like we did it emotionally, but not narratively. Okay. So, I like, if I could um, figure out how to do that. Uh, if I if I started over, I would put more time into figuring out how to, how to do that, rather. <laughs> well, I think we've jumped ahead a little bit here with terms of talking about the second one. You are the creator of Frog Fractions, which uh, back in October of 2012 was one of the most talked about things on my Twitter feed. Um, Mine too. <laughs> I can imagine it still is to this day. Um, <laughs> but you... S- you just released this browser game that you'd been working on for a while. And um, as a, in the documentary, um, I, which I highly recommend everyone goes watch uh, goes to watch. If you're not watching Danny's no-clip documentary series already, you should be. Because it's, a, a, it's games media that is unlike any other right now. No one is doing the sort of thing that Danny is doing. But you should definitely go watch the one about Frog Fractions. Um, but the, the way you sort of put it together, and I really like the idea of, you just kept building upon it with different ideas constantly, um, which is absolutely fascinating. And also the backstory about the games you used to create for your friends. Yeah. Kind of, I'm not surprised a game like Frog Fractions came out of that, considering the ideas you had. It's almost like you took all the ideas for games you had before, kind of slapped them together into this one game that has all these various different genres and clashes of game tropes and everything in this sort of excellent um pot but how how was it um for someone who'd maybe not really had much success in game development before to all of a sudden have this game that you'd just been working on for a while with yourself and your friends um to then be like oh my god so many people are playing my game not yeah. just not just it, ten or a uh, hundred now thousands of people within a short space of time are now talking and playing my game. Yeah, it was it was surreal. I uh, I I didn't really have a. It, t- it took a long time for me to get a handle on that emotionally. It was very strange, um, but uh, very rewarding, you know, and very like it certainly it certainly changed my life in a very positive way. I can imagine, as you said, in the documentary, you talk about that social um, sort of currency that you gained from it. Yeah. Um, and obviously, creating something like that gets people talking, gets you noticed. Um, and you said you talked about using that for Frog Fractions 2, um, which is kind of funny considering the way Frog Fractions 2 went. You're almost you could have really, really cashed in hard on that social currency and made like huge marketing um, through Twitter and got all the people who knew who you were and stuff like spreading it, but you decided to do the complete opposite. 
<laughs> well, and, and that was uh, like that was itself a marketing move because people talked about that, but in a very obscure way, um, which still maybe even if people knew, like, because uh, I knew about the sort of the sigils that you'd hidden in other games. I re- I remember reading through. I think it was a NeoGaf thread of people being like, "Is this Frog Fractions too? Is this something to do with it? Is this? I'm seeing this everywhere." And I remember thinking, "Oh yeah, Frog Fractions too. That's that's going to be a thing." Is but then in my mind, it's kind of like until the the secret was out, I'd I'd forgotten um, that it was going to be a thing. Almost. Um, did right. you find that that was happening? to a lot of people or because you were so involved in like the augmented reality game and people were talking about that a lot did it feel like it had a lot of steam behind it well the the frog fractions 2 became a meme it became it like it did definitely do that <laughs> it, it became like the a shorthand for a weird thing happening um and because I've got a, a Frog Fractions channel on TweetDeck, I just I just see every one of those, and so it never felt to me that uh, it was something that people were forgetting about. Uh, however, I still see tweets also of people people incredulously exclaiming that they didn't realize that Frog Fractions Two was out. <laughs> so uh, obviously, it did. It did for some people. <laughs> I well, I can imagine since then. Obviously, it's still hidden, and I, you still would have to search for a specific title on Steam to find it. And um, that it's, I don't know, in if that comes across. I mean, the the story and the idea behind it is genius to me. It's so genius in an artistic way. Um, but then for people who maybe like don't read gaming news websites maybe so much wouldn't necessarily come across it until later on yeah so if they were thinking about it hopefully those people um uh one of their friends knows that they want this and will send them a christmas gift or something like that yeah like i bet you would love this game and then they send them this this very enchanting fairy game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're like, okay, well, let's see. And then boom, oh, there, there it is. There's Frog Fractions 2. <laughs> That's right, yeah. So uh, let's, before we get uh, move on a little bit, let's talk a bit about how you started in games then, Jim. Because obviously I think you must have spoken a lot about Frog Fractions over the years now uh, to the nth degree and still are because of Frog Fractions 2. Um, but how did you sort of get into sort of making games and what is it that drew you to wanting to um, not only pursue it in a way where you used to make games for your friends, but pursue it to the point of now I imagine working professionally. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, I was making games when I was video games when I was 11, just, uh, just for fun. Um, and I've been doing it on and off as a hobby since then. Um, and when I was in my 20s, I was very motivated to become a game developer professionally. Uh, but around that time, that was like 2001 or so, like I, I started uh, like in the early 2000s were like the worst time to try to get into making video games uh, because team sizes were... Uh, like it, it was 
like 10 years earlier, you could make a game yourself and, and build up experience that way. And 10 years later, the indie game scene existed um, and you could make a game and people would play it and you could build experience that way. But at the time, like people were like at AAA studios making stuff that you could never hope to. And if you wanted to get hired there, you had to be experienced and you can't have experience working on a game unless you work on a game first. And so here's the weird thing, like psychologically, it was impossible for me to conceive of uh, making a game that wasn't technologically a marvel, that wasn't really pretty and cutting edge. Yeah. And like, maybe if I, like, this has never even really occurred to me. Maybe if I had made games of the scope that I started making later in like 2009, um, then my life would have gone very differently. But I did actually eventually um, get a job at a uh, a middleware company, game middleware company, and it was a cool project, but um, it wasn't a very good fit for me in terms of just like the, it was a, a really demanding, like combining the, the stresses of both a, um, a, an R, like a big company R&D division at a startup, um, and they demanded a lot of hours, and I just didn't, have the energy to give them basically okay um and so at that point i um i uh i decided like and this is probably the correct decision that like game development is not uh at least at least at a, at a big company is not what i should be doing um because i can't put in the the 60 hour 80 hour weeks that they seem to they seem to demand on a uh, uh as the norm the, um, the crunch level, we're going to work 12 hours a day, six days a week um, until this project's finished. That that kind of yeah, yeah, social pressure that, that is very prominent throughout the games industry. Yeah, I just don't have the temperament to do that. Like, I, it's not going to happen. Um, and so uh, game development became, was, was back to being a hobby for me at that point. Um, and Speaking of hours, then comparing to a hobby, just as a quick side, do you, are you someone who pushes yourself to work such hours because you enjoy working on a project, or, or even when you're developing your own games, are you someone like, okay, I've done nine hours today, time to take a break, and yeah, go I, do I, my other thing. no, I I definitely don't crunch uh, on my even on my own projects, and okay. that's a ver- that's a deliberate decision because yeah. I have, uh, I, I reach a point very quickly. Like if there is a very um, proximate deadline, then maybe I'll do a week of more hours than usual. But, um, but then I pay the price later. Like if I work, if I work more hours than I am, like I know myself to be capable of very quickly, I get to the point where I'm not able to work. And so, um, because of that, and because like I also just want to have a life outside of work, I I only work the these reasonable number of hours of what I'm capable of doing sustainably, um, and very deliberately so. And what like one thing that might be surprising or might not is that like for me that number of hours is actually way less than eight per day. Like if I'm doing um actual like thinking like real work as opposed to just like emailing people or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I can pretty much do four hours a day. Um, 
if I get up to like six a day, then we're getting into crunch territory and like I will be burnt out by after a couple of weeks and I will need to take a big break. So this is um, just like straight looking or uh, code and coding or scripting and stuff like that. Like the yeah, actual yeah. Like, working on the game. Yep. Okay. So what, um, going back a little bit then about the sort of c- continuing it as a hobby, um, how did you balance keeping it as a hobby and then also doing work on the side? Cause it sounds like you, you had your sort of day already pretty full. Uh, well I was, um, working at a gay, a day job at the time. Like this was, so, so when I started making games again in like 2009, 2010, uh, on a, like when I took, started thinking it seriously again, um, I was, I had a day job that was just like, it was there to pay the bills and I didn't really give a shit about it. And so I didn't work very hard at it. Okay. Um, <laughs> and that that's the solution to that. Like I just had like a lot of free mental energy because it wasn't very, this job wasn't very demanding. Um, and also like as the, that company started failing, not because of me, mind you, um, and my hours were cut. And like we went out of went out of business like ten hours a week at a time, um, over the course of two years. Like every six months was like ten hours fewer per week. Um, I had more and more time to do what I uh, what I uh, what I w- wanted to do with my free time, which was make games. Um, and like Frog Fractions was made in the last like maybe year and a half of that. So you had all this mental energy to devote to Frog Fractions. And from what I gather from the uh, documentary series is making that was just a lot of fun. Like it didn't ever feel taxing because you were bouncing ideas off your friends all the time and asking them to play it and you were trying new things. So I imagine it was just fun. You had the time to develop it. There was no pressure because you, you, I don't know, didn't think it would ever be like a kind of i wouldn't say commercial product but definitely something a lot of people played in the end um was yeah, was like it just is, fun for that that whole year and a half uh per, the, the the entire game development the entire development of that game was fun yes uh yeah that the, the the lack of pressure of like there is something extremely freeing about like making a project with no intent to uh try to make a living from it and no intent to even reach an audience. Yeah. Like, like that is very freeing. And it is very like, just, you're, I'm doing this just for the sublime joy of creation. Um, and uh, I definitely like, something that I, I discovered um, in the development of the second game is that like, when when your career is like, well, shit, if, I, if, I, if, I, if this game doesn't succeed in the marketplace, I will have to get a job. Um, and also just the stress of like a bunch of people have actually already given me money for this. I need to make them happy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that's, uh, incredibly like, it's a very different experience internally. Like, um, did that that change? Does that change the, the thoughts behind the game? Like, does it make it less unique in a way? Do you have to think about what you're actually making differently or just the outside external pressures? Uh, I I ended up deliberately putting that stuff out of my mind um, and just made the thing that I thought was coolest. 
uh, because that's what people pay for. That's what people paid me for is to make a thing that like they wanted another game that was in my voice. Yes. And so trying to like, I, 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 maybe I, and this is something that I talked about in the documentary a little bit as well is maybe like there could have been a middle ground where like I could have deliberately tried to appease more people. Um, because some of the decisions that I made were very, um, exclusionary. Um, but that's also just the nature of video games. Like video games are exclusionary by nature. Um, but like even like um, just the, the the way the game looks most of the time you're playing it I think is like I love I love the way it looks and it was the the part of the game that resonated most with with most of the testers but a lot of people just think it's incredibly ugly and unpleasant to play and a lot of those people were the people who liked frog fractions so like I. Like, I really disappointed those particular people, which is a shame. Um, yeah. But, like, the only way to... Like, I... I can't I, just I, make the same game again. No, you know? yeah, you're absolutely correct. I think... Uh, I'm trying to see it from their perspective in the sense that... With the first game, there was kind of this coherent frog character and the art style to match that. Even when the game changed... Um, to the different extents that it did, there was th- maybe that can cons- maybe they they think that they had that association with that frog and the the art style there. And Frog Fractions Two sort of changes up a lot. It goes for a lot of different styles, which is really interesting in a different way. Um, it goes for a lot of different styles, but like there's there is one in particular that you see a lot of, and it's a very um, very specific style as a very specific like thing that uh you might or might not like and the same like similar to like, like trying to avoid spoilers here but like yeah similar to how some people just don't like pixel art like imagine if you didn't if you like pixel art try to imagine if you didn't have the history with it it would just be like why, why is everything squares why is everything <laughs> like these re- rectangles it is that that sort of difficult trying to you can't please everyone and there are going to be people who enjoyed the first game so much they decided to give you some money who are just not going to enjoy that and that's unfortunately the sad fact of life sometimes um but yeah and and the other thing is that uh this is a frog fractions 2 is a hard game um like you have to really work at it to finish it and the first game that was very much not the case it was, it was a very like aside from like the very first you know puzzle which a lot of people got stuck on and didn't even realize it was a puzzle um that game was just a breeze you'd finish it in half an hour pretty much no matter what yeah the the and... the the sort of meat of both games is very different frog fractions 2 is a longer game and a longer experience and frog fraction 1 is this kind of um you know, shorter, but a crazy intense experience over a short period of time. Um, yeah. If, but looking back now with the few months that have passed since you released it, has the response been kind of the same? Like, do you still, do you get the same, um, I don't know, like the love and uh, the, the praise for Frog Fractions 1 coming through for Frog Fractions 2? Uh, I, I get um, the the praise is for Frog Fractions Two is from 
a different sort, a different set of people. Okay, um, that's interesting. Like it's it's a, there's a lot of overlap there, but like you have to be a more specific kind of person to like the second game. So you think the second game is the more unique of the two? Uh it's probably, but also it's the more um demanding both in terms of like your playability and like what the sort of things you like. Okay. It- it's that it's that funny thing because that is your commercial product as well. That yeah. is actually that is your product that you're selling to people, and in a sense, maybe that being more demanding and more unique is uh, quite interesting, considering how the first game planned out and was this wholly unique experience that no one had really ex- sort of played before, and that's why it was so popular. Um, but as you said, people paid you to make a product similar to that um but going forward now um is frog fractions put aside is that that now for you oh i'm I'm not gonna answer that (laughs) um what what i've said in the past is that if i do another one and i'm certainly not ruling it out um i'm just not going to announce it and it'll just appear somewhere in the world is there stuff that you've learned for definite about the way you release Frog Fractions 2 that even when you would make such a decision, you'd still be like, well, I know it'll be okay. Or is it just like gung-ho, let's let's try it <laughs> kind of a feeling now? It would definitely be like, I would have to, it would have to be another, a new kind of game again. It would have to be like, um, certainly like learning the lessons of the first games, but like, um, again throwing every throwing the structure away um and throwing the content away and starting starting new with a new weird idea i really like that i like that still after the two and the way the two planned out the the artistic idea and the the idea to expand upon making it more secret and more mysterious is such is really really good (laughs) to me it's such an intriguing prospect and um I would, I, I'm almost envious that you get to do something so kind of crazy and experimental. It's really, I can imagine, very fulfilling as a, yeah. a creator. No, my life is amazing. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm very happy with like what, where, where I've been able to take my, uh, my, my, my art, my artistic tendencies. And you, and people are going to know you for that as well, which means people would expect such crazy and wonderful things to happen even if they're obscure to the nth degree right yep it kind of gives you that license to really experiment uh yeah yeah it's it's a good place to be (laughs) well that's excellent jim and I highly recommend, as I said, to anyone who is listening to this right now who hasn't watched the documentary, to watch the documentary, but before that, play the games. The documentaries are set up that they will spoil everything in the games, and you really, really need to play both Frog Fractions 1 and Frog Fractions 2, because you won't have played anything like it. But Jim, I think you have probably in your mind talked about frog fractions quite enough uh in recent <laughs> times so you are here to talk about other people's games 
Um, specifically eight games that you are going to be taking with you to a deserted island. I mean, you can think of all of the Frog Fraction's three ideas in your mind while you are stranded in uh, my deserted... Yeah. Frog Fractions 3 is going to be launched on a deserted island that only I exist on. And nobody else gets to play it. I'm sorry. Oh my god. See, I've helped. I feel proud that I've helped in some way to make it obscure to the... <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's excellent. But yeah, you have chosen eight games to take with you. And um, there are a very unique set of eight games and... Some uh, standouts that we've had on the show before, which is entirely understandable for how incredible those games are. So why don't we jump into your first game, Jim? So let's listen to some music from this first game, and let's dive straight into Jim's final games. So kicking off Jim's list today is a game that surprisingly has yet to appear on this show. Um, considering the nature of the game, uh, I am actually quite surprised it's taken this long, 49 episodes before it appeared on someone's list. Even its sort of rival counterpart series that was uh, spawning multiple and multiple games uh, has also not appeared either. It's a game um, a lot of people have spoken about, and there was a time in the video games industry, very much like when Frog Fractions was released, where everyone was talking about it, and everyone was playing it at parties um, with their friends, and everyone was having competitions about how good they were. Um, it's a very unique game, and one that I've enjoyed so much, developed by Harmonix and released back all the way back in 2007, oh, almost 10 years ago now. Uh, for the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, it's the wonderful Rock Band. Jim, you are the first person to choose Rock Band to take to a deserted island. That kind of seems crazy after 49 episodes. I like how the right after the music, you just have this like word puzzle where like, oh, well, what game is he talking about? I had to think about it. Like what... What as you as you as the sentences went on, I was like, "Oh right, it's Rock Band." Okay, <laughs> and I I have this list in, not in front of me, but I remember what games I sent you. I was like, "What game could he be talking about?" And I imagine that's even more more fun of a puzzle for the listeners. Yes, that's exactly what I like to do. I like to make sure I don't say the title until uh, after I've given a nice little introduction without spoiling too much. <laughs> right, but Jim, yeah, yes, so the first rock game band, is Rock Band. I, I have a. I have a long history with Rock Band, and luckily, I have a long history with playing it alone. Uh, so this is a game that um, I, I I have a I feel deeply connected to music um, in general, but I 
haven't really in the last five or ten years it's it's been harder and harder for me to like find the time and energy to listen to new music and so rock band was this amazing opportunity to like uh give me an excuse to focus on a song and really dig into it and dig into the guts and see how it works musically um and that's that's intriguing and so um rock band even you know even not on a desert island uh i uh i feel very you know strongly connected to and i i'm also just miss playing it in a social setting like that's something that like that that i um i feel like is is missing from my social life is that nobody else wants to play this game with me I, um, I I can absolutely agree, see that this is something that I spent so long playing with friends who didn't play video games, and yep. it was a kind of way of me socially, it, it, not introducing them to video games, but uh, having something that I have that they maybe don't have, and uh, playing with them and having a lot of fun, and it was some of the best experiences I've had, and it, it just doesn't happen anymore. No one plays these games anymore in social settings. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a shame. It's something that like I think was just a really unique cool thing uh that like a phenomena, a social phenomenon that happened and then went away. Um and it would still be just as fun to do it again, but like people just don't it's not something people do. It's not a perennial thing like going out and drinking with your friends. Yeah, it's almost um, like its time has passed and people would think it was kind of weird to do that now. I don't I don't know why. Right. Yeah, it's just how humans are wired, I guess. Um <laughs> but yeah, this is a game that like has uh something like 5000 songs on DLC. Um and I enjoy playing all of the instruments. And um, also, uh, uh, Rock Band Three specifically has uh, the um, the, uh, the 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 Squire Strat into input controller that actually has you playing actual guitar parts. Um, so this is something I could really dig deep into as a skill set, and also just like relax with um, if I want to zone out and play something easy. Like well, I, you, you've I, uh, also you've also picked something that allows you to essentially have because um, I think in Rock Band or there was a later version of Rock Band where they had the no fail mode. So yep. you, you literally basically have a jukebox. You yep. have a deserted island jukebox, which is I feel like almost cheating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was there was other kinds of cheating that I decided not to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but um, but, this is definitely one of them. <laughs> but also, like, I figured even if all I get is like the okay, let's just say I get the on disc rock band songs, that's still pretty. Like, I still like really like playing that music, and I still really enjoy uh, that interaction. Like playing Metallica and just the the very sort of Red Hot Chili Peppers and that kind of stuff. Yeah, just the stuff that's that's already on the disc is is something that like I I uh, I came to love almost every song on not unlike probably on Rock Band Two. Like I, I remember Rock Band Three having some clinkers for me, um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a part of my life that like I I really cherish and would love to spend more time doing and and could and could do like basically indefinitely i like i i still like 
I, I spent a ton of time with those first two games playing by myself, just trying to gold star everything. Because you play on like expert and um, on yeah. all the instruments. Yep. Yeah, I I, uh, I was that good, but I was like I was definitely not like you know good as good as the people you can find on YouTube. So like, there's yeah. still that that to aspire to. I always had a friend, uh, a friend called Harry, who he the only games he played were Halo and Rock Band and Guitar Hero, and um, he was like the guy in our friend group. Like I could play expert, and I could play expert on the the guitar and the drums, and I was I was fine. But he was like the guy who could do, like, through the fire and flames. And oh right, yeah, yeah. I never he got was that good. He, he was that guy in our group who was so good at it for some unknown reason. Why he was a robot to the rest of us, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> do you do you still have it set up? Do you? Uh, no, I don't. In fact, like I um, my hardware is um now at the house of a friend. Like I have a friend who is slightly more likely to, than me to have rock band parties and okay <laughs> I, I i gave my hardware to him just like just so like even if i'm not playing this game at least someone in the world is thanks to me <laughs> i have had the itch about four times where i've gone and purchased cheap like secondhand versions just to play a few songs just to get the the itch scratched out of me there are so many times where i just i, oh, I just want to play just rock bands yep. thankfully now i i live in a country where rhythm games are immensely popular so if i do have that itch that needs to be scratched now i can just go to an arcade and play mm -hmm. like play the, some guitar uh, freaks yeah, play some guitar freaks and uh, stuff like that, so I can get it out of my system. But I remember, I remember there was one Christmas where in the UK we have the chain game, and I was working a game, and we were selling the like boxed versions of Guitar Hero Three for the Wii, um, with the weird system where you had to put the Wii remote in the guitar. <laughs> and then the yeah the nunchuck was like hanging off it and stuff like that. Um, but I bought it for like equivalent of like five dollars, like boxed. And I was like, this is it. This is my Christmas. I'm just gonna replay this game now. Um, and that's it. The <laughs> I'll be satisfied for another few years in terms of playing rock band and guitar hero. <laughs> Do you think you'll ever go back to it? If well, we had last year, we had the new guitar hero and the new rock band. Did they interest you, or do you just feel now that? Even for you, as someone who's a fan of those games, that that has passed too. I I bought the new Guitar Hero um, because it was intriguing to me. the 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 button layout is, uh, and they changed the buttons layout from five by one to three by two. Yeah. Um, which is interesting in that, like, I I, I so I've played a bunch of it, and it is um. It's definitely compelling as a skill set to build, like the learning to move your fingers in this new way. It feels more like actually playing a guitar, like fretting a chord on a guitar. Um, and I, uh, yeah, that aspect of it is really compelling to me. But the um, the music on that on that game is not interesting to me. Like I don't know how they picked you know, what, however many it is, 30 songs that I just don't like at all, but they did a really good job doing it. Um, and, uh, on top of that, like they also like one of the gimmicks of this game is that, uh, it presents as, as full motion video, um, 
like a, a concert from the perspective of the guitar player. It's a really weird presentation choice, and it's it's well done, but also like one of the reasons I don't go see live music is that all my favorite favorite musicians just look like assholes. Like, <laughs> like I, I love you know listening to listening to music, and I love listening to all kinds of music. And if I ever look at the music videos, it's like, who the fuck is this asshole? I don't want to know this person. <laughs> I don't want to be associated with this person. <laughs> so you feel like you you you're dirtying yourself or sullying your. I I just like I I, and I feel like an asshole. Like I feel like I'm the asshole for reacting that way, and I probably am. But like um. Yeah, like I, I don't want to, I don't want to, like that's not a fantasy that I want is okay. being on stage with these people. Um, Rock Band Four is something that I am saving for later. Like that's something that is like I've always got it in my back pocket for if, if I'm really like jonesing for some Rock Band, I can drop however much money it is for that game and some hardware and have some Rock Band in my life. That is perfectly explainable to me as someone who gets that itch so hard sometimes to be like, ah, like, yeah. it, like if someone talks about it or someone, or what I stumble across a video with it, I'm just like, oh, the, the days I spent playing those games, the days, the hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll always remember mas- trying to master Coheed and Cambria's um, welcome Oh, is it Welcome Home? I think Welcome Home. I think home. so, yeah. And yeah. playing the drums. Yeah, that's a fun track. So the track. intro, oh, it's such a good track. And I just remember just annoying the heck out of, I think it was my roommates at the time, by doing the double, the bass pedal <laughs> to that song. Um, it's so much fun. Yeah, that's a, that's a game games. you can't play on the second floor of a building. No. <laughs> maybe with the guitars you'd be okay. The click yeah, clack yeah, is yeah. kind of a, but the drums maybe. Okay, you're right. You're right. It's it's actually just the drums because you're stomping <laughs> on the floor. Like you are. Yeah. It's not not gonna work. <laughs> so talking about taking Rock Band to a deserted island, then you are taking a game that's gonna have way over thousands of songs. Um, it's it's a pretty good choice straight off the block to take to a place where you need it to play forever it's it's just one of those games that maybe you'll get bored but the, the I, I keep saying the itch like the uh, the want to play it will always come back yeah so no matter what um it's always going to be there for you to pick up and of course it's going to be your virtual jukebox as well that's right yeah excellent well such a good start to kick off and I'm very intrigued now to go into your second game, as it is also a game that's not appeared before, uh, but in a series that has appeared multiple times um, for very good reason. But I'm very interested to talk about the next game. So why don't we listen to some music, some wonderful, very beach-themed music for this next game, and let's dive straight into it.
So the next game on your list, Jim, we're going to talk about in a second. Because first, we have to talk about the deserted place in which you are going to be heading to. The place that you're going to be spending your the rest of your life playing these eight games. Um, so as everyone knows who listens, it can be a place from video games that I allow you to choose. So you can think of anywhere from any video game, anywhere you've enjoyed or you feel is peaceful or somewhere that you would enjoy being stranded with the caveat that there will be no one there. You are deserted. Um, Is there a place from video games that really sticks out to you as a place that would be cool to be spending the rest of your life? I was thinking about this um, and the game, the, the, the place that immediately uh, stuck out to me was the... Um, I've been playing Breath of the Wild, um, which is yes. just amazing and almost made this list, <laughs> but that felt a little bit too optimistic of me. I would have definitely, definitely, definitely seen and been... I've even thought about it myself, about who is going to be the first person to choose it. Yeah. I didn't expect that you would, as my, the, my most recent guest since the release of the game, would choose it, but... After having spent 60 hours playing it myself, not surprised. Not yeah. surprised it, it even came in. Maybe it is a little premature to think about it now, but I'm not surprised at all. That game is just unholy good. It's yeah, fantastic. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's definitely my favorite Zelda game in a long time. <clears throat> so thinking of the the map of that game then, the Hyrule. Uh, yeah, I, so I was I was thinking about that, and then I was thinking about like, well, I'd probably die immediately. <laughs> um which honestly like uh maybe i'll want to die like being in this like th- I, I thinking about on this list is it puts me it's put me in a really dark place just like trying to anticipate like what uh solitary jim like what kind of care he's going to need and what kind of mental state state he's going to be in and what will like what <laughs> games are going to help and what games are just going to make it worse <laughs> like i i've been like this is this is a profound act of violence that you've done to this hypothetical gym <laughs> um and so like maybe a quick death is just the best answer um but that's but... the beauty that's the beauty of hyrule in breath of the wild and in any zelda game because no matter how bad it is out there that it always for some reason has these safe havens within that world that you will never ever get touched in right that's true yeah, so if oh. you decide you want to have the quick death or, I don't know, suicide by Bokoblin, um, <laughs> you can do that. But all you have to do is step out of Kakariko Village or Rito Village or something like that. <laughs> right, right. The other thing is that like a lot of the joy of that game and moving through that scenery comes from using that hang glider, which would definitely also get me killed immediately. <laughs> I don't think we are as adept as Link at being able to use such a such a thing. <laughs> right. So so my my actual answer is um the island from Just Cause 2 um which uh, I think oh, it's called okay. Panau, which is this just gorgeous like not just gorgeous like tropical island but also a, yeah. lot, a lot of little a lot of different biomes there. So if I get bored of one I can move to another. Um and would you, would you like the grappling hook as well? Would you want me to oh, give geez. you the like, grappling hook? Like I said, like the same with the hang glider, it's just gonna get me killed. So like <laughs> I think I'll skip it. 
<laughs> but oh shit! But like as I, but in the same way, like I bet I didn't even think about this till just now. I bet this the, much of my enjoyment of that space came from the grapple parachute mechanics. Well, I, it's too late now. I've made my decision. I it's a beautiful. It's a beautiful island. I don't think you're making a bad decision. It's also a huge island. Mm-hmm. I remember the world for that game was absolutely massive. Yeah. Um, so it's always sunny there. I can't remember mm-hmm. it having a dynamic weather system. Um, <laughs> it was always sunny, which is great. Um, and there's not going to be the problem. The problem in that game is a dictatorship and human beings. So right. they're not going to be there. So. I think it's a I think it's a very good decision. Okay, cool. I think I think you've set yourself up nicely. Um although I am gonna give you the hook uh in a box. Okay. With a Just with a with a break with a skull and crossbones in, on it. Yeah, with a with the text break in want of quick death off island emergency. Okay. Uh, so if ever the day for some reason for the, the <laughs> if you've had enough rock band <laughs> Right. And you feel like now is the time to to go. Maybe you can try go parachuting and see see what happens. All right. Sounds good. So the next game you're going to be playing on this beautiful sunny island is a very sunny game indeed. A game all about sun and beach and water and for some reason weird oily paint that is <laughs> placed all across the map. Um, it's kind of the black sheep of this series of games they're the 3d versions of these games anyway um but it's it does have this love by many people especially now as the years go by more and more people look at this game fondly for the unique things it tried to do it's definitely one of the more difficult titles in this series um trying to control with the with the unique systems of using water and boosting yourself in such a way was quite difficult for some players to begin with. It's a game that was developed by Nintendo EAD and directed by the one and only Yoshiaki Koizumi, who a lot of you who are interested in Nintendo Switch, you will have seen a lot of him recently as Nintendo are pushing him forward. He's the guy who is like, HD Rumble is excellent. So (laughs) he was the director of this game, produced obviously by the two most wonderful people behind this series shigeru miyamoto and takeshi tezuka it released all the way back in 2002 in japan and came a little later in the year for both eu and the us for the gamecube it is the wonderful and beautiful has some of the best graphics on gamecube in my opinion super mario sunshine jim you are the first person to choose super mario sunshine out of all of the mario games why super mario sunshine so the Mario series is a series that I um in adore intensely. I am a huge fan of like I love I love every one of those games. And I've played every one of those games to death. This is amazing me because I thought your answer would be that I don't play Mario games, but I enjoyed Mario Sunshine. But now the fact that you've told me you've played every Mario game and still chose Mario Sunshine as the one you'd take. Yeah, I'll tell is you why. Fascinating. I'll tell you why. It is because um, I am sick of all the levels in every Mario game. I've just played them all way too much. (laughs) And so um, what I really want, what I'm getting out of this is just revisiting the mechanics. Like um, the, uh, the movement 
of the 3D Mario, the, the the jumping, the wall jumps, the the backflips, the, the running around, even in a in a flat ground, you know, uh, is just pure joy in those games. And so any one of the 3D Mario games will get you that. Um, and Mario Sunshine is the Mario game that has the most, uh, the clearest like sense of place. The clearest sense of like a place that I might want to re- to go, go revisit. Um, so Delfino and, Island setting. Yeah, and that was almost my uh, choice of island for uh, where to stay. Actually, yeah, like that, that has not been a choice that's come up before. But now that I think about it, I it's a, it's a good one. It's a very good one. Yeah, yeah, um, and specifically because of that, like I I actually agree that it is probably uh mechanically the worst mario game like not the one that holds up the worst um but it is uh the one that i think has like the best sense of place this best sense of like conveying here is a space you exist in and one thing that i loved about mario 64 is getting to know all the little spaces all the the world you're in and exploring it and finding all the secrets and getting to know the like the nooks and crannies both like visually and like how you interact with them um and uh Mario Sunshine does that even better like it it conveys a really strong sense of place and i love that did you find that it was difficult just because of the the flood system like that was what was difficult about it or was it the way like the levels were designed um cuz there are some very unique red coin levels in that game that frustrate players to no end. Um, is it a more of a design choice or is it just the way that Mario is controlled in this game and the use of flood? Uh, for me, at least, um, uh, I've played all the Mario games enough that like all the core mechanics are really intuitive for me. Like not, not necessarily intuitive, but I've learned to, work around the pitfalls like sort for example i am very fluent with the camera system in mario 64 i can make that camera do what i want it to do <laughs> um and um, how, how about the ds version because that oh, one was, that one's uh yeah, yeah that, that, not so not so that, good <laughs> that that game makes me so sad because the level design changes that they made were actually a massive improvement but the controls were just awful and I I wonder like if we're ever going to see those things like the that those changes come together with the uh, actual like like a, a like an HD remake or something of Mario 64 oh, uh with those imagine? new levels would be would be the best thing <laughs> cuz even the virtual console versions of that DS port still had the crappy camera that you had to fight like, uh, that's, oh, a, that's a with, real shame. With a controller that had two analog sticks. It was yeah. not yeah. good. <laughs> um, but, um, oh, the the idea that, like, no, I'm I'm really comfortable with controlling Flood and making it do what I want. Um, oh, okay. The, the hard part for me for those games, um, and I remember this being the hard part even back in the day when I wasn't that familiar with it, and uh, although, like, I can't really trust my memory, um... I remember the hard part being the 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 poorly tuned mini games like the the squid riding sequences um and also the the sequences where they actually take flood away um where where it's uh 
the levels that that later were expanded into what what Mario Mario Galaxy became, where you're it's a, it's a linear sequence, it's a linear obstacle course yeah. that you're running through without your jetpack. Uh, those okay. were the those were the hard parts for me. And would they then, such like? A, sorry, what was that? Were they such a detriment a detrimental experience? Like they really took away from how good that game could have been, or were they just like, I'm glad these are short sections, but this this isn't that great. So a lot of people liked those parts best, um, and I, I think Nintendo took that to heart. Like specifically the the linear sections, uh, the bonus secret levels. Um, I think Nintendo took that to heart when they were making Mario Galaxy. Um, the part that I think people really hate is not necessarily the parts that were like the hardest. Uh, were the part like all the weird like the the pachinko game where the where like physics gets fucked up in some way that I still don't understand. Uh, where like you are trying to get make your way into a specific like uh, hole and like suddenly you can't fly in a certain direction because who knows why. Um, okay. Things like that. Things like the, um, like piloting a, a rotting leaf down a river of poison. Like that was just really poorly, poorly <laughs> conceived and, and not very, like not very well tuned. When you think of 3d Mario games going forward, then knowing I am. I imagine you enjoyed Galaxy as well, even though maybe that that experience you had in Sunshine was what you didn't like. That then became Galaxy, um, and then we've had the Wii U uh, 3D game, which, was, in my opinion, was very very good. Um, uh, yeah, I, I like all the all the th- all the 3D Zeldas or the the 3D. I don't like all the 3D Zeldas. I like all the 3D Marios. <laughs> Big difference between the two. <laughs> Huge difference. But looking forward now to then like Super Mario Odyssey, um, which more reminded me of Super Mario Sunshine because of yeah. the hat mechanic than it did any other 3D Mario. Well, I didn't even think about that. I was thinking about um, how those levels look like spaces that you explore. Yeah, like like a like a, what, like a city town type. Yeah, that's what's exciting to me about that game. Um, I you know I like I liked the Galaxy games a lot, and I liked Mario 3D World well enough. But they are linear obstacle course levels, and that's fine. Like those mechanics are still great, and I'll play a linear obstacle course level, and I'll love it. But it's not the I like what I want is what I thought Nintendo had relegated to the Zelda games, which was exploring an interesting 3d space. Um, like, I feel like there's, there's definitely something special to like, not just, um, not just getting to a place, but also like not figuring out how to even get there is part of the puzzle. Like seeing it as part of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoy that sort of interaction with a, with a space. Do you think are you are you hopeful for Super Mario Odyssey? Then are you like yes, this is what I want. I want to be able to double jump up buildings and yeah, I'm I'm very optimistic. I think like from what I've seen, it looks very very much like what I want. No, oh, that's excellent. Which is great considering the, the start the Switch has had with what Nintendo have done for the Zelda franchise and. Do you, do you think that Mario Odyssey is going to be as a reinvention as Breath of the Wild is for Zelda? 
Oh, I hope so. I mean, visually, it looks like it. Yeah. Yeah, I I really think, like... Well, Mario Mario needs it less so, because, like, the Mario Mario games have always been vibrant and new. Um, Trying to, like... And it was the Zelda series that was just really growing stagnant with just doing the same thing over and over again and getting more and more didactic about it. Yeah. Um, Do you feel, uh, though, that, like, especially when I watched the the trailer for Odyssey, I was like, whoa, whoa, wait, what? This is, this is different from Mario. This is, do you reckon that's just Nintendo's thought process for now going forward? Like, they are trying to literally change your perception of their IPs that have been very similar for so long now. Yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine people saw the same in Sunshine after Super Mario 64, but we have seen a lot of Mario games recently that are very, very similar. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking about the new Super Mario Brothers series, but that one definitely is stale. Like, uh, I think the problem that series had was a, a fundamental con- problem of conception, which was new Super Mario Brothers 2 should have been a remake of Super Mario Brothers 2. Like, I think that would have solved every problem that that series has had. <laughs> just go all the way back to Doki Doki Panic and just change it all again. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I, I, yeah, I think this is really, like... Nintendo has been, they're so, when they want to be, they're so good at what Breath of the Wild does, which is just letting the player loose in a in a playground and letting them learn how to play themselves. Um, and so much of the time, they lately, they have been doing the opposite of that, which is like telling you what to do for an, a half an hour or an hour before you actually get to play, uh, which is infuriating to me. Like, I, I can't stand games that do that. Um, do you think that Odyssey will be maybe kind of like Super Mario 64 or I mean any 3D Mario like where you get put into a level but this time the levels are going to be maybe mini sized open worlds where there's a lot of things to do in there like multiple stars to get instead of just the sort of five or so hidden ones that are in a small confined space do you like do you think these they're going to be maybe shorter uh, not not shorter but less so less levels but bigger ones that uh, require you to spend multiple hours exploring them i would really i would love that i think that would be amazing because that's kind of what it looks like because like new donk city which is still a word and phrase i'm getting used to um does look really quite big um so i'm not sure to the extent of how I don't know if that can just be a singular level or it's going to be a whole city broken up into areas for multiple different levels. I guess we haven't seen enough of the game to really judge. Right. Um, So I'm getting all just excited for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's... But I think it's about time we move on from Mario because otherwise, as people know who listen to this show, I could talk about Mario all day and we should kill it there and wait for Odyssey to come out. But... Super Mario Sunshine is going to tide you over, I think, until then. I think after this conversation, I would be, I would be lenient enough to send you a copy of Odyssey Aww. through a message in a bottle, just because I'd want you to experience it. If it is very like, if it is a lot like Sunshine, <laughs> that, that's the sweetest thing anybody's ever done for me. <laughs> I banished you to an island. I oh mean, right, okay, never mind. 
<laughs> I don't, don't, don't praise me too much. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to go on to the next game now, which is a game I struggled to get music for last time it appeared. It's appeared once before, and that was by the wonderful Steve Gaynor of Gone Home fame. Um, so you are an excellent independent game design company when choosing this next game. So why don't we listen to some music I struggled to find last time because there really isn't any. Um, I can't remember what the hell I picked last time, but let's listen to it and let's dive straight into it. and lava. Corwin turned to slime. They could both see what was coming, but they couldn't pray in time. Pinky fought a soldier ant that crawled out of his backpack. They were all in love with Diane. They were doing it in NetHack. Bertha swung Mjolnir like a Valkyrie in the rain, and she lost her mind in Sokoban, a flayer ate her brain. They were all in love with Diane, using every keyboard function as they tried to find the amulet somewhere in the dungeon. I don't mind the text sometimes, the images it shows. Running from the D's and L's and killing all the O's. Faded prints and subtle hints and fortune cookie lies. You'll never ID all your stuff until your ad sign dies. So the next game on Jim's list, we're jumping from many different genres here. We've gone from music games to Mario to a roguelike video game now. A roguelike video game that was released all the way back in 1987. It's appeared once before on this show. Uh, it's a game I have not played and I really do not know much about at all. Apart from the name is uh, whispered around the internet by people. And it seems to be quite the quite a game in people's heads from their early periods like one of their most sort of the games that showed them what games could really do uh at such a time as 1987 it was made with ascii graphics and is a descendant of earlier games such as a game called hack um a rogue the player chooses a character and a class and their mission is to retrieve the amulet of yendor in a randomly generated dungeon it's a game called nethack jim Along with Steve, you have chosen NetHack. I, Why? I, I thought you were going to... I thought Steve was on the air suddenly, like, you know, I was going to have a conversation with Steve Gaynor about about this game. You can uh, do that next GDC, GDC. You can be like, oh, hey, I heard you played NetHack. Yeah, yeah. So I knew I wanted um, a, uh, a really intense classical roguelike, and I now wish that I had played more of them. Like, NetHack was a game that... Uh, took me probably five years on and off of on and off play to actually finish. Um, and it's a very, very long learning curve. And so that's why I never really got into um, Adam or crawl or any of the other descendants, like people who pl- who've played all of them are the, the, the consensus seems to be that crawl is the best one. Uh, but I just can't, quite throw my hat in there like and put make that make me decide that like yeah i'm gonna play this one game without having played it before um because when i know that this other one is is great um and i want to also clarify that like uh i um i think nethack has some serious design issues 
fortunately it's also open source so uh given uh given the appropriate tools i can fix these design issues myself okay um, is th- is this kind of like your creative project thinking uh that that's something that 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 probably is going to end up happening but i wasn't actually thinking about like just doing full blown game development within NetHack. I was just thinking about this, like fixing, <laughs> fixing like the just making it better for you. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Fixing like the floating eye bullshit in there, which I still think is a is bad game design. Um, and a bunch of things like that. But NetHack is a game that um, uh, is in like it. It's a kind of an incredible merging of um systems driven games and like almost like adventure game style object manipulation where um so many of the um objects that you can interact with have uh custom designed uh interactions with other objects uh it to to the to the degree that you font you expect to see in an adventure game where like every every interaction in an adventure game is custom designed except it it all exists within this um within this systems driven game uh which is a looking back on it, it is like it, it could only have been done over the course of decades by a team of dozens of volunteers like i don't i can't imagine like this 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 game being produced by a commercial team trying to make a game in a year or two yeah something uh, that built you built people have built upon through passion and dedication over years something that can only be shown through stuff like that right um and so yeah nethack is like just uh one of the games that like i feel like i can always um go back to and find riches in and like really just dig deep into and you know i i say that i i finished it uh and that's true but like there is so much more to do beyond finishing it. Like there's just so much more opportunity for getting better at that game and really, really mastering it. Um, yeah, I feel like that's a, that's a game that is kind of evergreen. And taking it to a deserted island then in the, one of the eight coveted spots for you, um, even though you have kind of finished it and also it has problems that you would need to fix is it just that fond to you? Are you that fond of it? Um, so I was thinking about like, in terms of, um, uh, in terms of having finished it, like I, I only, I pretty much only picked games that I have played a lot of already and kind of got sick of at one point. And I feel like if you're going to be playing a game for the rest of your life, you you have to you can't go into it not knowing what it's like to be sick of the game because you're going to spend almost your whole life sick of the game. And so, um, ah, okay, yeah. So I I feel like like once you've been through this, if you if you if, once you've been yeah. like yeah, I'm done with this game, if you still want to play it six months later, you know you have a winner. Yeah, if this is a game that I got sick of, but then months later I was like, oh, I really want to go play that game again. Yeah. And then you went back and played it and you were like, oh, I, you, this is good. And then you play it for a, another long period of time and then you're like, ah, I'm sick of it again. That is like 
that is a surefire test of surviving a deserted island, essentially. Yep. Ah, okay. The, I've got, I've got, I've got the thinking down for this one, um, which is something no one's really spoken about before either. Like the idea of, yes, I really enjoy playing. I don't know Dota, for example. I've played nine hundred hours of Dota, but have I stopped and taken a brief period, and then gone back to it? No, I haven't. I will have to do that on a deserted island. Will Dota <laughs> still hold up for the person? It's I I get I I kind of get that, and I don't know why no one's I even myself I've not really thought of the idea of repetitively jumping forth between games after getting sick about them and then st- still wanting to play them even after such a long break maybe yeah yeah that's it's good thinking i i can now i can see why this list has unfolded in the way it has from this point onwards then because it's very i'm very intrigued about the next game. i'm always <laughs> i'm <laughs> i'm always biasedly intrigued about the next game because i worked on it so <laughs> It um, always interests me what people have to say about this game because I have very different thoughts about, <laughs> about, it, about it as a game. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, think, I, think, I think it's about time we move into the next game then. Um, I will admit, every time I get, this game gets chosen on this, uh, on this show, I always get to pick this one music track that I absolutely adore from the, the game. So I'm happy <laughs> that I get to listen to uh, the the next <laughs> song so why don't we listen to some music for this next game and let's dive straight into a game i worked on that if you listen to the show you'll know straight away So the next game on Jim's list is an action-adventure video game that was developed by Rockstar North and, and published by Rockstar Games, produced by Leslie Benzies and Imran Sawar. It's written by the one and only Hauser Brothers. It was released back in 2013 for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. Whew, my life is flashing before my eyes. Um, the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One versions came a year later, with the PC versions then coming another year later, which can tell you I had three very busy years <laughs> getting this game to people under some sort of banner. It is the highest selling piece of video game media of all time, Grand Theft Auto V. Is that Jim, true? It's, it's, it's a crazy sales? The, the sales as, I think, only Minecraft through its various incarnations is... Oh, yeah. I think Wii Sports doesn't count because that was packaged into a video game console. Right. 
I, but I think that's in the hundreds of millions, whereas yeah. GTA is something like 75 million copies sold now or something stupidly ridiculous. That like is that. ridiculous, yeah. Still, every 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 week I get the press release for the UK video game chart and GTA is either first or second still to this Holy day. shit, really? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's just... I think I think like the only things that are above it are Minecraft and I think I I mean Tetris. Tetris has got to be <laughs> probably one of the highest. But yeah, it's up there as uh, oh, it's crazy. <laughs> but I digress. Jim, you have chosen GTA 5 as the next game that you're going to be taking with you. Uh, and I am absolutely fascinated to know why this is so. Uh so I knew I knew I would I needed a, a big open world game in here. Um and I was waffling about what it, you know, I really like Fallout 3. Uh, I, I'm really, like, I'm playing Breath of the Wild right now and loving it. Um, I was going to say, <laughs> I know which open world I'd be choosing. <laughs> right. right. Um, and I, I almost picked Breath of the Wild, but that was just a little bit too, like, it just, it, it felt optimistic. Um, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to come away from that game with the feeling that I have for it right now. I don't know how it, what the end game is like. Okay. Um, uh, and what what sealed the deal for me uh, was is that I knew I was going to want to be I, I would want to feel like I was in a city around people. Um, if I'm that alone, that pseudo all the time civilization. Life, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I really liked uh, Grand Theft Auto Five. Um, it. Uh, has it it has now like I, I wasn't sure for a while but it has now supplanted the vice city as my favorite grand theft auto game um Ooh. and it's it's just a like just being in that space is um something i could do probably forever just 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 love just driving around um or flying around just just exploring those spaces and being around um that simulacrum of la is just really, really beautifully done. Is you are based in Berkeley, California. I am not very good at American geography. Um, it's not something I've experienced with. But as a resident of California, is does it feel quite homely in a sense, even though it is LA? Uh, it's it's a different it's a different kind of vibe. I also considered having uh putting Watch Dogs two on the list for exactly that reason. Ah, uh, um, okay, yeah. But uh, having not not played it, I wasn't quite ready to make that leap. Um, the the commitment, <laughs> <laughs> right? And like, uh, it, it's it's not the same thing. I, there's definitely a, a pretty different vibe. Um, uh, it would be like, uh, from my understanding, is that they capture the vibe very very authentically, and I I would love to see like that team who are so good at like building spaces and building an atmosphere. Um, that team approached like a smaller city, like a city that would sell less games. I guess is what I'm saying. Um, such as Berkeley, that would be a really interesting target for them. But um, yeah, it's uh What is I, it specifically about GTA five then that from now on, now knowing why you've chosen these games, what is it that is it about GTA Five that makes it replayable to the extent where you can keep coming back even after you get bored of it? 
Is it like the single player or is it just that open world driving around, just messing about, doing that kind of thing? I didn't even think about the online multiplayer. I guess it has that. It does um, have that. That was my area. That's where I spent most of my time working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess that's a, a bonus treat for me that I hadn't considered. Um, yeah, I, no, I, I just I just love being in that space. Um, and the missions are like, they're fine. Like, I, 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 I thought the storyline was hit and miss and kind of gross in places. But um, uh, just being in that world... Um, this this the that richly drawn environment um i i really really enjoyed that and i think like, i think that's also evergreen i think that can just like you just do that forever just the just the idea of having that kind of civilization but the the problem with that idea in my mind is that the people in gta are horrible people like uh, even yeah, the pedestrians no, like... are like fuck <laughs> you like you're an asshole like Oh, I'd get so depressed if they were my only human interactions, <laughs> essentially. Oh man, who did I like? What was I? I really liked. Oh, I forget. I forget everybody's name in that game. I really liked the uh, the mom. There, one of the characters has a mom that we meet, or an aunt. That was my favorite character in that game. I uh, thought she Fra was Franklin's Franklin's aunt. Yeah, that's right. She she was a great character. I would hang out with her. <laughs> but she's always she's always berating you for for not having a job and Oh well, yeah, but I mean trying to be a gangster. I don't have to be a job. I'm just uh, I'm just stuck on this island. <laughs> that's fair enough. Like, honestly, like I, I I I part of the reason that um I I liked her was that like yeah this guy should get a job what's wrong with you buddy that's true she's right you... <laughs> but the problem is you can't get a job so right, are you gonna yeah. are you gonna be are you gonna you be could, depressed you that be a you taxi can't... driver well you could do that it's not very gangster enough for Franklin yeah, I think yeah. though <laughs> and also she wouldn't notice because she's not programmed to to realize that you've, you're you're now rich. You could try and, I mean, if you get the PC version, you could potentially try and build a mod that allows oh, yeah. her to recognize such achievements. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, and again, like having, having mod tools for, uh, for GTA five, that would be a, a rich array of opportunities for me in terms of game design. I would love to, it, and, and all this, all these things like there are all these things that, that I could do with my time even now that I don't because there's only so much time in the world and yeah. having those opportunities, that's, that's actually a kind of a neat opportunity. So not only are you going to be fixing NetHack, you're going to be making Fix, GTA fixing, more... Fixing the ant in GTA 5. Fixing the yes. ant in GTA 5 and <laughs> making Franklin get a job. Right. <laughs> these are some excellent challenges to chase, to chase while you're chilling, you know, yeah in your deserted place it's <laughs> oh man do you think panau like there are hotels there right do you think they have like a they're like, very fragile hotels though oh uh, from... well i'm not gonna be i don't i won't have the rocket launcher but do you think they like you think they have like room service well there's no one there so no Fuck. okay never mind <laughs> i mean there is if you decide to get up and make it yourself and bring it all right to you. all right all right <laughs> although I I don't know. Is there robots in the game? Is there robots in Just Cause 2? 
I don't know. That's a good question. I, I should have researched what game has the best butler robots. Yeah, if if there's robots and you could, if they're not programmed to already be butlers, you could do that. That's another challenge. That's right. Yeah, but that's whether that's, that sounds like more of a Fallout Three thing. Yeah, but it, then would you want to be getting room service in a hotel in Fallout Three? <laughs> I don't think so. No, no, everything it's too green. <laughs> last time i went up in, last time i went up in a hotel in fallout 3 i ended up nuking the whole of megaton city so yeah. probably best i don't go in hotels in fallout 3 anymore. <laughs> i learned my lesson <laughs> well we're going to move on to a, another game now that kind of simulates populated worlds but in a very different way and this game falls into the category of being allowed to use the internet with the caveat of not being able to talk to other players. Um, it is an MMO, and it is a lovely one at that as well. So why don't we listen to some music from this next game, and let's dive straight into it. So we are moving into Jim's fourth game now, and we're going to be talking about an MMO. So <clears throat> taking that sort of idea of a pseudo-civilization that you can sort of surround yourself in, one that is very realistic to our world, but full of asshole people. <laughs> <laughs> now moving into another one that is a fantasy-based world that also has quite a lot of asshole people who don't... Uh, who take your gear well not take your gear but beat you up in certain areas and also uh get mad at you if you do things wrong in raids and stuff um but it's a game that released all the way back now in 2004 and still holds up to this day after numerous changes and expansions over the years it's blizzard's huge fantasy just world smashing game that so many of my friends and i have spent hours and hours playing it is the wonderful world of Warcraft. Jim, I told you the, the house rules about allowing games for the internet, but you had the caveat you couldn't talk to other players. So now what I'm wondering about why you've chosen World of Warcraft is, is it just to be exploring the world and have that same feeling as GTA? Or were you someone who did like raids and dungeons and stuff like that? Yeah, I so I... I... Yeah, I was mostly a solo player in this game, um, but I did enjoy the like the micro social aspects of just like hanging around in Ironforge and showing off my gear. Like that was a real thing. Um, <laughs> so it's it's okay for you to not interact with players because I mean you're going to be able to stand next to real players. You're just not going to be able to talk to them. Right? Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm going to be desperate to talk to them in this situation. <laughs> 
Like I'll I'll be, be I'll want to be far more social than I had been when I actually played the game. You'll be waving fastidiously as that yeah, is yeah. the only way you could communicate. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but my understanding is that like nowadays, if you do like uh, dungeons, no one ever talks anyway. You just rush through it in half an hour and you're done. Yeah, that's been my experience in the most the two most recent expansions. It's definitely a bit more like that now where people are doing it to play the game to progress more than socially. It's still the same in raiding, I think, where obviously you have big groups of friends who play together and that kind of thing. But yeah, you can definitely play this game solo now and do the dungeons and the fun parts absolutely perfectly fine. Yeah. And th- this was a game that I played in 2005 and um was just it took over my life and I had to eventually just, I had to stop. I had to not play it anymore um, because it's one of those games that you can play forever. And that was specifically why I put it here is this, this is a game that like I um, I've played games. Like when I played, um, I didn't play Grand Theft Auto five to this extent, but I played Grand Theft Auto four to the point where like for like two and a half weeks, basically non-stop like rivaling a day job and i 100 percent of that thing and then i was done and then it's like okay i'm done with this game now and i moved on if you play world of warcraft for two and a half weeks rivaling a day job you're just on par with everybody else who plays that game and they do it all year um like that's a game that like really can suck up your entire life and that's uh maybe what i'm gonna want in this situation it definitely is one of those <clears throat> almost perfect games for a deserted island it's a game that does seem endless um with an unholy amount of things that you can do or things that you can aspire to work in whether you want to do like crafting or artificing and stuff like that but also has that there are people here there are real people people who maybe i can't talk to but they're there they are surrounding me yeah um i don't feel so lonely yep um yeah and that's a uh, that's hopefully hopefully just doesn't doesn't just make it worse we'll see did you oh do you think that do you think like you'd long to return to civilization because of the people in world of warcraft yeah maybe yeah i i don't i don't i've never been in that position <laughs> i hope no one has so but <laughs> do you do you think you would be someone who would very quickly get bored not bored but long for return to civilization even if you were set in a in a pretty good place on a desert you had food you were surviving okay and that kind of thing it I, was I kind think, of like just I mean, solo adventure i like being an introvert i think i would handle it better than most but nobody's that introverted like yeah humans are social animals i think i would miss people very quickly do you think if the rule changed where people could talk to people and through games like world of warcraft and still communicate to them on a level that maybe they would at home that would make it bearable like you could actually do it yeah maybe yeah because when i think about people who play world of warcraft this is the one that gets me thinking about there are people out there who kind of already for many years lock themselves in a deserted place yeah. with World of Warcraft where their life revolved around <clears throat> their life revolved around a weekly schedule of raiding, uh, doing stuff with their guild, 
constantly in communication about sorting stuff out and stuff like that. And I'm thinking like, this is the, a game in a case where people almost to an extent have done that in their real lives. Yeah. They could true. potentially survive on an island if they had that rule change, maybe. It wouldn't it be any necessarily different to their daily life as long as they were surviving. Yeah, I, I could totally see that happening. Um, and I might even like, I could even see myself probably not anymore um but at the time i was playing that like i was definitely holed up and not interacting with people very much um like i I really like uh i really kind of withdrew into that game back in 2005 and that was part of the reasons i knew i had to stop so when what was the last expansion when you were like right that's it i'm cutting this Uh, out now so I played a little bit of, I think, a couple of expansions. Um, and I drew the line at the one where they added achievements. Uh, because that's something that, like, really works really effectively on me. Um, and I knew that, like, I just can't be trusted around this game. <laughs> Are you okay with that now, though? Because, I mean, you're going to a deserted place, so... You- you have all the time in the world that you don't have any responsibilities. You can do this and be feel guilt free almost. Uh, yeah, Are exactly. you look, and that's, would you that's look, why it's fine now. Would you look forward to the idea of playing through all the expansions you haven't played? Like oh, experiencing. Yeah. No, it sounds game? awesome. It sounds like a, <laughs> so, so it, it would be very comfortable for me. It would be like a a very comfortable waste of time. A, a very comfortable waste of time. <laughs> yeah. Just the hours would fly by. The uh-huh. years almost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hopefully. It's a good choice. And it, it, I mean, it's World of Warcraft. It, it's a game played by so many still to this day. Um, so you're going to have no lack of um, pseudo-civilization in this fantasy world for sure. It's not going to become a dead MMO anytime soon. So I think right. it's a safe yeah. bet. It's oh, not yeah. like if you pick like City of Heroes, Anarchy or Online, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you're the only person. <laughs> the, the the there is the a danger of online only games, though. Yeah, well, that honestly, one day like, the servers might be shut off. Yeah, yeah. I I love games that like put you in, in this isolated place, that put you alone in a dead world, and. I almost like before I, you know, thought better of it, I filled my list with that sort of game. And I was like, shit, what the fuck am I thinking? This is not gonna... what I'm this is not going to be a great fantasy for me. <laughs> I think that would get very old very quickly. Yeah. Like, oh, this is this is desolate. This is this is this is boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is oh, this is my real life now. <laughs> this is my life forever from this point onwards. <laughs> Well, you are going to take World of Warcraft with you alongside the next game that we're going to take. And it's uh, another game, I think, that's been chosen once before on the show. Um, And it's a game that I actually don't know much about. I know it has this cult classic um, fascination with a lot of players who play it. And uh, it's the game that influenced Minecraft supposedly who knows unless i I don't know if notch has specifically said such a thing um but it's a game i'm very intrigued about but have have still not played and so i'm interested to hear why you've chosen it so let's listen to some music kind of from this next game (laughs) and let's dive straight into it (laughs) 
next game on your list, Jim, is a game that, if we were going to call it its full title, it would be called Slaves to Amok, God of Blood Chapter 2, Dwarf Fortress. <laughs> a game developed by Tarn Adams, uh, published by Bay 12 Games. It released back in 2006 and is a construction and management simulation roguelike game. Um, that is freeware and has been available, like, sort of in an alpha version since before 2006, I think. Um, maybe. <clears throat> but it is a game I haven't played and I don't know too much about. So, Jim, please explain to me why the next game you're going to be taking with you is Dwarf Fortress. So, I said that I had played all these games to death and was sick of them. And Dwarf Fortress is the exception. I have never played Dwarf Fortress. Um... Because I don't have time for that shit, um, but I bet I would love it. <laughs> I this is this is my one like hail mary like I bet I'm gonna love this game, and uh, I want to find out. Uh, like and like honestly, like I uh, I also thought about filling my my list with these sorts of games. Like, what are all the games that like like Civilization and Stardew Valley that I bet I would love, but. I do not have time to play in my busy life, but, um, I just, I decided to, to pare it down to the one. Um, and, uh, it's, it's Dwarf Fortress. Like I, I keep hearing all these stories about what happens in these games and they're, they're just the most amazing stories. Yeah. And I that... want to, I want to make those stories myself. That's my sort of looking at Dwarf Fortress as well. I hear nothing but the stories, the stories behind it and the, the stuff that's happened to people who've played the games. Um, but I still not played it because of that sort of barrier to entry that it has. And then getting over the barrier to entry to then spending the hours required to get anything out of that game. Yeah, yeah. Like all I hear about that game in terms of learnability and interface is that no work has gone into making the interface good. No work has gone into making it learnable. So, like... <laughs> that is, kind of, kind of, um, I think you can see where that comes from, right? Considering well, the games you made. Oh, well, I, I didn't really think about it in those terms, but I was thinking about it in terms of, like, well, okay, in, in the sense that, like, the developer's focus is on other stuff. Yeah. Um like that these it's it's made by I think two brothers yes. and they're just making like they're just doing some cool shit that they think is cool and <laughs> the rest of the world is along for the ride and they don't like I guess neither one of them gives a shit about interfaces and that's fine, you know. You you do what you want to make. Yes, that's very true. And um we're both I'm not quite sure what to say because we both don't actually know what the game is like to right. a point where anyone who's listening who's actually played Dwarf Fortress is like these fucking guys <laughs> but it is that kind of game where you could spend hours but the potential is still there that you might not like it right are uh, you yeah, someone it's... who's gonna push yourself to like it because you chose it uh, or if you don't like it, you're like, well, it didn't work out. It's, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I think I'm going to keep trying it, even if I don't like it, just because I'm going to have nothing else to do, right? Yeah. Like, I, I bet there is some aspect of Dwarf Fortress that I will enjoy. Apparently, there is a roguelike mode in it where you actually run around as a dude. 
Okay, so there there is there is stuff there. I'm just <laughs> there is quite dangerous choosing a game you haven't played before. It's really it is. It's a risky move. It's, it's a, a risky, risky move. move. For someone who has been so methodical in their choosing so far. Uh, like, well, this was uh, this was also a methodical choice. Like, I, I am pretty confident I'm going to like this game. Um, and I, I decided it was worth the risk. Like, this is just one out of my eight. And I'm, I'm pretty confident in it. And if... If it is in fact what I hope it is, then it will it will um it will giveth. <laughs> well, I don't think we can really say too much more than that. We're gonna just unfortunately we can't have you report back because right. one, both this is fictional and Are two. Are you not gonna break- send back send over podcasting equipment? <laughs> so for Jim part two, uh, Jim, how have you been faring in Dwarf Fortress? <laughs> oh, I hate great. it. Why did I, I do this? I <laughs> <laughs> an alligator ate all my dwarves, and then I made an alligator <laughs> fortress, and now it's a civilization of alligators, and they're wearing all the dwarf heads, so that's the new <laughs> alligator fashion. <laughs> <laughs> See, now this is exactly what you're hoping for, aren't you? This is the kind of stories that you hear about Dwarf Fortress, that you're like, damn, I want me some alligator fashion. Like, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want out of my life. Well, Jim, for you, I hope more than anything that is the case. So you can take Dwarf Fortress and you can um, maybe report back one day in the real world after you've had some time with it, maybe. If you ever get a chance to do such a thing, um, I'll be very interested to know. But just in case you don't like it, you have this next game um, to spend for also forever playing which is also a roguelike game uh created by a former final games guest on the show um so this game i don't think it needs any introduction it has some excellent music let's listen to it and let's dive straight into the second to last game on jim's list in three two one So moving into Jim's second to last game now, uh, it's a game created by Derek Yu, uh, a wonderful chap who has appeared on this show before. It's also a game that I think now probably eclipses many other games like The Witcher 3, Resident Evil 4, and Super Mario Galaxy as the most chosen game on this show. There is something that resonates about this game with other game developers, uh, Without them even realizing, I think, uh, <laughs> because it has just been chosen so many times. 
It was originally released as a Flash game back in 2008 for PC. It then got a remake for the Xbox 360, the PlayStation 3, the PlayStation Vita, and now the PlayStation 4. It's the wonderful roguelike title, Spelunky. Jim, please tell me why the second to last game is that you are taking Spelunky. Uh, it, this is a game that is like, a, it, as you were saying, uh, from a game design perspective, this game is a master class in how to make really interesting, powerful interactions with very simple systems, with very, very simple components. Um, this is a game that I've, I've played a whole lot of, and, and it, it, it just keeps being interesting, and it the skill ceiling is massive. Um uh, it was this was actually a toss up uh, between like whether I would put this game on the list and Binding of Isaac because Binding of Isaac is another great example of a game that like you can just play forever and it yeah it um it's 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 very similar in that like it's uh it, it's it's structured well actually Binding of Isaac has this other advantage that like it it has these um the combinatorial like uh different upgrades you can get that interact in interesting ways um. And so that was tempting, but like, uh, it, it really mattered to me that Spelunky actually just feels good to play. Like it feels good under your thumbs. Whereas Binding of Isaac, like it started out as a flash game, um, and a flash twin stick shooter, which like didn't feel very good to play at all. And the remake for all the things it improved on, uh, it didn't change the controls at all. And so I feel like okay. that's like the weakest part about Binding of Isaac is how it feels to play. Um, and what I loved about it was all in like the the ancillary stuff, like the 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 implied lore and the um, the 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 selection of items and the way the items interact. But Spelunky is just a, a, a like a I Spelunky was what made me feel okay not putting a two D Mario game on the list because it has those mechanics. Like Spelunky's run and jump feels as good as a Mario run and jump to me. And so um, it kind of serves that purpose as well. Derek yeah. did say, I think on multiple occasions that Super Smash, uh, Super, Super, Super Smash, Super Mario Bros. was his sort of biggest inspiration for creating like the control system and the way that the characters move, which obviously does shine through very much. Yeah, it, it really, it does come across. It, it feels really like a really solid, a really, really good jump, a really good run, really good acceleration, really well tuned. Um, and this is just, this is a game that you can just like, you can, you can play it and it, it somehow, it always feels fresh, even though you're going through the jungle again, even though you're just in the, in the same caves. Um it's funny because you do you know Derek personally um I don't know if you do you I, the, I have the run no into clip Derek okay because the no clip documentary series that is going on right now with uh frog fractions um there is sort of a prequel episode to that um about mystery in games which is something you know very well which you did a GDC talk about uh which Derek also features in yeah, yeah, and I, yeah, I think... and, and John Blow is in there as well, and I have yeah. not really—I've met both of them, but I haven't interacted with either of them in any extensive way. Okay, okay, because so it's like, very interesting. Yeah, we, we didn't—we kind of... didn't talk during the making of the documentary. They inter interviewed us all separately. 
Okay. Um, so that, yeah, this isn't like, I, I was going to ask you, have you spoken to Derek about Spelunky and the sort of the, not the feedback you have, but the sort of like, Hey, this is a really good fucking game. <laughs> I, I have not. Um, no. Do, do you think he would want to hear from me? I, I have no idea. I know. I know one thing about Derek is that he's kind of sick of talking about Spelunky. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. Which well, I imagine... My understanding is that like, that's why he wrote the book, which is an amazing yeah. book, by the way. Yes. Um, yes really, really good much. book. <laughs> do you, do you get the same feelings about frog fractions? Do you get sick of talking about that? Uh, I, 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 I go through phases like, um, I, 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 it's hard to like feel bad when people are asking you, like people want you to talk about the, the thing that you did that they really liked. Like it, it's, it's, it's amazing to have your work be so, um, people be so interested in your work that they're asking you about it. So like, even if like, I feel like, oh, I've, I've, I've had this conversation too many times in the past week, um, it's still fun. It's still something that I'm happy to do just because like, yeah. it's, it's uh, it's not like I am for real famous and get recognized on the street. But when you go to like GDC and stuff, uh, even at GDC, I actually like there were a couple of like there was one time someone recognized my voice from the video games hot dog podcast, which was really funny. Um, <laughs> uh, and um, I was wearing at GDC the same hoodie that I wore in the uh, no clip documentary, so like. I def- definitely a couple of people recognized me and came up to me. Um, one of them in the bathroom, which was funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it was kind of neat. It was kind of like a little slice of like what it would be to be uh, to be more famous. And I definitely was happy that I'm not actually that famous. Okay, so not like if you were Derek or Jonathan and. Maybe with those guys, like, oh my god, you're the guy who made Braid or The oh, Witness. God. Yeah, even even being <laughs> Jonathan Blow famous would be a fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want that. <laughs> well, who knows when you do whatever you do next? Um, it is entirely possible, considering the notoriety that Frog Fractions already has. Right. <laughs> so you're putting yourself in well to be fair you're getting sent off well actually i say that but now derek is also in a deserted place oh so, where did he go where did derek go i can't remember where derek went um are, are there other game developers on panel will i get to meet them no you're the first on panel i'm sorry <laughs> okay you're right. you're trapped in i think there's quite a few of them on sun uh, on uh outside island in the wind waker there's like a little horde of them oh that sounds all hiding nice away. that sounds like, like a, a little hideaway they all make i've got like my together. own little i've got my own game development zoo going on <laughs> maybe they're all working together to make a game or a way of getting off the island which would be a lot more productive they're working on your personal <laughs> sequel to grand theft auto 5 <laughs> You're, doing, you're gonna do it right, not the, like the fucking Hauser <laughs> brothers. Yeah, <laughs> but then just going back to Spelunky for a uh, a second, there is this uh, just the sort of the gameplay is so good that I wouldn't want not to have this a game. It's also a roguelike, which means you know it's replayable to any end. Um, is there any other unique qualities to Spelunky specifically that? it makes it on this list. 
Uh, it, it is just, like, the longevity of it. Like, I've played it a lot, and I still love it. And, um... And it just feels really good under my hands. And it, I've got a lot of really, like, fond memories of, like, learning about the lore. Like, learning, like, learning about the world, learning about the way things interact. And, like, like even if I'm not learning that stuff again, it's still, like, it's a neat little tickle to to remember learning it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that'd be great, wouldn't it? It'd be, like, I'm trying to think. I mean, you, you could sort of take stuff you learned from Spelunky and put them into net hack i mean that's a way of you creatively doing something I, i'm not quite sure <laughs> oh, man. that's the only make a, tool make a 2d side scrolling net hack would be amazing <laughs> that is the tools you have you're gonna have to try and make do with what you have so. that's right yeah <laughs> well we are gonna move on now to your final game jim and also it's a game on the level of spelunky that has reached this list multiple times where very good reason. Um, I'm very interested to hear what you have to say. So why don't we listen to some music from the last game on Jim's list and jump into Jim's final game. So the final game Jim is going to be taking with him to pan out today is the, I guess, masterpiece people would say now. I think I'm not going to say classic because it's still, it was released a long time ago now, but it's in the realms of people are going to be talking about this game and this series for forever in video games now. They're Um, already talking about it forever. Yeah, it feels like almost in any conversation we have about game design these days, this is a reference point for so many people. Um, Directed by the one and only Hidetaka Miyazaki, it released back in 2011 for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, and then a year later for the PC. It's the sequel to the relatively unknown at the time, Demon's Souls, uh, developed by From Software and published by Namco Bandai, it is the one and only Dark Souls. Jim, the final game you're going to be taking with you to Panau, alongside Spelunky, NetHack, and all the games you've chosen, is Dark Souls. And why is that? Uh, Dark Souls is um, it's a, it's really special. It's really something special. Like this is a game that um, I I don't think that i'm gonna get anywhere near what i got my first time through the game but again this is like a mario sunshine situation where like this is just a place that i always want to revisit and this is one of those games that is like it puts you isolated in a desolate place place so like i still i said i 
didn't want to fill my list with that, but I had to have this one because it's just so, um, so intensely memorable. Like I really, um, I, I really love this world and I really love the lore and, um, also I'd like to try a bunch of other builds I haven't played. So there's that too. Um, I had thought about, um, I thought about the whole series, like I, of the, of the series I've played, uh, Dark Souls and Bloodborne. And I think I like Bloodborne more in some respects, but like, at, and I had heard about, um, I'd heard about, uh, Dark Souls 3 that that it might hold up better mechanically so in that case it might in that sense it might be a better choice but like I just yeah. I feel like um Dark Souls is still like the one that that holds up best in my personal memory um, okay and like I I don't think I could for like the other thing I heard about Dark Souls 3 is that it the lore doesn't hold up that it's not nearly as good at the world building um, and that's such a huge part of that game in my mind that I just couldn't, I couldn't play a, a, a Dark Souls game without a good world, without a good, um, backstory. And it, is this a game that you've already explored to such an extent where you know all of the lore, you know about all the different characters, or is this something that you, you, it's a game you've played through, you've really enjoyed, you know, a little bit, but you're looking forward to exploring more and finding those secrets that you haven't found yet there's definitely more that i haven't seen um i haven't done any of the dlc for example um so there's that uh, there are a bunch of builds that i'd like to try um i might even dip into the multiplayer i didn't i never even bothered with that um but it's uh i i Again, like I, I had to, I, I wouldn't have put it on the list if I didn't know that, like, I could feel like I was sick of it and still wanted to come back to it someday, you know, because that's definitely yeah. where I was when I finished it. Like I, I finished it once and then I played it again immediately with another build and I was like, okay, that's enough Dark Souls for me. Um, and then now, like uh, later, like a year later, I'm like, okay, maybe I can play this game again. You know, it's it's uh, yeah, it it comes. Back it is to you. it is such an intense uh, experience, though. Uh, it it, it really is one is. of those that you really need to be like, whew, I need I need I need to sit down after this. <laughs> so yeah, like to, both both Dark give Souls. Give me some and, Mario Sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> both Dark Souls and Bloodborne are games that like, uh, playing them like. For whatever reason, like I was talking about how I can't, I can only do so much work per day before I get burned out. Playing those two games like dips into the same reservoir of like willpower that I, that I use to work. Okay. So like if I play uh, Bloodborne for a few hours today, I probably won't get any work done um, because I'm just drained. Um, on the other hand, uh, if I made good progress in Bloodborne, that feels as good as a full day's work like oh yeah I, I was really productive today yeah is it like i've made three bonfires today i've managed to progress yeah far like that. yeah would it even though it's a game you've already played would it give you that sort of drive where there is very little when you're trapped in somewhere 
it's hard to get like I don't know out of bed in the morning because <laughs> it is a weird situation I know and very fictional but that drive and that human ambition would be very distinctly lacking and um a lot of the games you have chosen are games like roguelikes which I you can't really have drive for because it's almost an element of luck on combined with skill whereas dark souls is a game that is all about the skill and the the drive to push forward i i feel like um even the luck-based games like you feel like you can you can have a like the the drive to do better is always there and like even if it's even if luck is a component um that just means you need to try more try a few more times before you get that lucky run okay so so the drive is still there for those games as well and you'd be like that's it like this time i'm gonna get a good generation generated level on spelunky or something um in terms of the Dark Souls, though, even though it is a game you have already played, is it like if you play it for a day and you're like, oh, I managed to beat like uh, three bosses. Are you like, pa, dusting hands like that was a good day's work. Yeah, that's what it feels like. Yeah, even even after finishing it twice, twice, twice you finished it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and less less so on the third time around. The second time around, I was in with a like I, I was with a sorcerer build, so it was drastically different. Um, I, I feel like there's probably a, at least a couple of more good, interesting builds that are going to feel like accomplishments. Um, and like now that I think about it, like I've seen a bunch of really ridiculous challenge runs that that I could dip into if I really felt like it. Um, but. So much of my ple- the pleasure that I get from Dark Souls is just existing in the world. I don't know if I'm going to even need to do that. Okay, so just being surrounded by a terribly horrible place, but that feels comforting. Right. It's weird. Like, <laughs> I, I get the same feeling out of the Alien movies. Like, like they remind me of my childhood. It's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> just put it on in the background when I want to relax. <laughs> daddy xenomorph that's right (laughs) daddy xenomorph is hanging around um so in terms of dark souls then out of the series you you said you played bloodborne and stuff um do you have like a favorite boss or like favorite sections of that game that maybe you'd get to a point where i'm at this bonfire now i know what's ahead of me uh i like doing this section i'm just gonna leave it there like is there a part of that game that you really enjoy uh, I well, I, I will say that like the part I'm going to leave it at is probably um, um, in Dark Souls. I feel like the 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 last third of that game doesn't really hold up in terms of gameplay. It's not really as good. Um, okay. So I might just I might just like and end it after um, beating Ornstein and Smo, which so, is yeah, get Anolondo out of the way and then just sort of be like okay. I'm 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 good. Yeah. I'm good for now. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. I've I've beat those two fuckers. I hate Ornstein and Smoke. But just get those guys out of the way and then that's it. Like I'm happy where I am now. Maybe I'll return to it in a while and finish it. But it's it's an excellent choice to take. And it is another uh, it's another one of that seems to really appeal to not just game designers, but everyone in general as sort of like 
a bar, a barrier of how good a game can be in so many multiple multiple facets like world building and gameplay and lore and all that kind of stuff yeah that's really special it's really something special do you feel like miyazaki's gonna create another game not dark souls 4 but maybe a bloodborne type spin-off yeah i would love to see i would love to see um him do work in a similar vein, but not in the same, like dark souls was, uh, something really special. And then bloodborne was good, but like, I feel like I'd already had a handle on how things work in that world. Um, I could go for a bloodborne too, but I wouldn't want to see a dark souls four. I feel like that's been done to death. Um, but what I really want to see is like, take that design ethos and make an entirely new game out of it because yeah. the real, the, the true pleasure for me of dark souls was just being completely mystified as to how anything in that world worked, feeling like, like, a, a, like a, a, a true adventure is like going in and not having any idea what's going on and slowly puzzling it out. And uh, that's so just, something that like, you just, can't have if you take those same mechanics and make the same game again this is like like this is something that um the i think the director of breath of the wild was talking about was like that he wanted to bring back the that feeling of of uh uh, being in a new place and not really knowing how the world works from zelda one and you just to to have that you have to throw away your existing gameplay you have to have something new. It is that thing. And a lot of people have always compared Dark Souls to being that branching point where the Zelda franchise went this way to the left to towards the more linear path, the handholdy part. And then if we are thinking about the Legend of Zelda and then Zelda 2, like that path spiritually is headed towards a modern incarnation in Dark Souls. Yeah, I definitely, that. I definitely feel that way. I definitely like link those games in my head, of uh, the yeah. I, I do feel like Dark Souls is like what uh, Zelda could have been if it if it gone a different path. And I actually like I, I'm really, I'm really happy with Breath of the Wild. So like, I'm glad it wasn't that sort of thing. But if it had been, that would have been really good too. Like if if the new zelda was just a reskin of dark souls i could i could live with that (laughs) it was funny because when a lot of the previews came out about breath of the wild a lot of people were saying oh it's really hard it's it's uh, even some people said it was like dark souls and although i don't see that i don't find it as challenging as dark souls i it it, yeah it's definitely like you can you can save anywhere and load like like it's definitely not as the same sort of challenge the, um, the combat so, isn't as demanding of the player either. Yeah, and and the way the way that it is like Souls is the same way that Legend of Zelda One is like Dark Souls, um, which is that you're exploring this mysterious world. Yeah. Um, and there are secrets everywhere, and like if anything, Souls got that from Zelda. Yes, and it's kind of weird that we cannot. Uh, when you talk about something that seems so game-like being thrown into a big open world with secrets to uncover, it's kind of surprising that there are only really two games that 
we can talk about have done such things like it almost seems kind of sad that in video games there isn't anyone else who's really gone and explored that sort of thing video games have become so trope-like in certain areas that something that does seem so game-like is withheld to two series made by Japanese developers who are inspired by each other. <laughs> I, I wonder, like, around the same time Breath of the Wild came out, uh, there was a game called Horizon Zero Dawn, which people talk about in the same sort of tones. Yeah. Like, if that people, people really like that game, the people who have played it, and if I wasn't playing Zelda, I would probably be playing that game, and I wonder how I would feel about it. It feels like it's maybe trying to be the same sort of thing that breath of the wild is um i've seen that as well and i have played little bits of horizon um i played some last year and it does it has this beautiful open world but it, it i don't know what it is but it does suffer from what a lot of things suffer from in video games which is hand holding telling you where to go oh, um, yeah. pointing things out with ui um you know fidelity like glowy marks on a map or stuff like that and yeah, it does take away from that element of mystery it is a beautiful open world for you to explore and is very vast and there is stuff for you to find but it's not you finding it it's the game telling you where to go you know that very assassin's creed style yeah not not to that extent though but it is kind of i feel like maybe a little sad that the only two games we can really reference are both breath of the wild and the old zeldas and dark souls for games that kind of have the mystery and I know this is something that is quite unique no, to you personally. I mean, I tried to make um, Frog Fractions 2 be like that. And it's obviously yeah. in a much smaller scope because I'm, you know, it's a very small development team. But like, yeah, the feeling I was trying for in the uh, overworld of that game was Zelda 1, among other, like, that was one of the reference anyway. It was yeah. very much like supposed to be that sort of experience trying to keep that spirit alive because i know this is something personally to you that is quite important i i mean you did a whole gtc talk about it so yep um it what do you think is the problem is it just gamers needing their handheld to make sales is is that just it does it really come down to something like that like I, games I like mean, assassin's creed that sell so many copies but are also some of the most I think it's just freeing games. I think it's just really hard to do it well. Um, okay. I think it's a lot easier to make a linear or or directed game that is good enough to sell to the mass marketplace um, than it is to make a really good like free roaming like really let the player figure things out game that is also friendly enough to sell to the mass market. Yeah. Does that make you very happy when you see games like Dark Souls then do so well and become these classics? Yeah, it was that was a real like I, I I'm very happy that Dark Souls has seen some mainstream success and like it's still not that I think it sold like three million copies. You know, that's not that much of a mainstream success. It's it's not, but it is for a Japanese company like that isn't nintendo i think i sure, mean it's sure. really really good but yeah i can see what you're what you're trying to say it's not like uncharted <laughs> right yeah but it, yeah. it does make me very happy that like they they found an audience they have influence like that game is incredibly influential 
And they're, you know, they they made enough money to keep making awesome shit, which is, yeah. like, that's all you can ask for. Yeah, that really is. And, I mean, it's a series that has now had four games in that specific series and then one spinoff, which have all been pretty great. So I hope I'd very much like you that that can continue. Yeah. Yep. Well, Jim, I think that is a way, a good way to sort of put a full stop on that and get ready to send you on your way to Panau with these games for you to play. All right, I'm pumped. I'm going to um, gonna fortress some dwarves. <laughs> drink, some, drink some pina coladas that I made myself because no one's tending bar. Yeah, there's no there's no room service. I hope you know how to make cocktails. All, uh, all the uh, ingredients will I'll be there. I'll figure it out. Um, there is the grapple hook in case of in case of extreme circumstances. I'll, I'll use it to stir the cocktails. <laughs> Just don't don't pull the trigger. Okay. You'll be flying into like a nightclub wall or something by accident. Um, but there is one last question I have to ask you, Jim. What's um, that? And it's the it's the last question I ask everyone before they leave. Uh, we've spoken a lot about video games. Um, but we haven't necessarily talked about consoles, which is a big part of any video game experience. And um, if there is one console that you could take with you, thinking the back, taking the back catalog into your mind, like the catalog of that that system, uh, and the experiences that system can bring that it doesn't, that no other console really can in your mind. If there is one console you could take with you, what would you take? Um. So I really, I really like the Xbox 360. I think that's a super, like a super good catalog. Um, but are we talking like, if I take the Wii U, do I get to play all the virtual console games and all the like the backwards compatible Wii games? I, well, considering as much as I like the Wii U, uh, unfortunately, the, the its catalog is very small. So I guess we could say yes to that one. But really, the, the, the virtual Wii console w- catalog is it the didn't... virtual. I think the virtual catalog console I would be more open to, but the Wii one maybe not so much because there are so many games for the Wii that you would essentially be choosing two consoles. Yeah, but the virtual ca- the virtual console catalog is limited to an extent. Is it uh, okay? Well, I haven't, I haven't actually looked at it. So in that case, in that case, I would definitely go with the Xbox 360. I think that's a really, a really solid system with a lot of really good games on it. Um, and I'm gonna miss the Nintendo stuff, but, um, but they're not everything. So, <laughs> well, you have Super Mario Sunshine. Don't worry about that. That's right. Yep. Which is quite funny. In your whole list, you you only have Super Mario Sunshine from Nintendo. Is that? Uh, do you feel like that's a good representation of Nintendo? Oh man! For you? So I tell, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Like I, for a long time, I was trying to figure out how to squeeze this in. I wanted to put Animal Crossing on the list specifically because it has emulatable NES games in it, like a dozen <laughs> different games, including it Super does, Mario yeah. Brothers and Zelda. Um, it does. And I just couldn't find a way to fit it in. Uh, but that would have been a that would have been a smart move. Do you reckon you could sacrifice GTA Five for uh, that civilization aspect to have an Animal Crossing civilization alongside NES games? <laughs> I don't think it would be the same. Uh, <laughs> They'd be nicer people, that's for sure. Some of them would be. Oh man, some of those people in Animal Crossing are just jerks. Like, and they don't even <laughs> understand it. Like, 
I, I remember one guy was like, I'm, I'm going to buy your carpet. There's like, I don't want to sell my carpet. And he says, well, I'm going to buy your carpet. And then he like offers me a bunch of prices. And I'm like, no, fuck you. I keep eating my carpet. And then he took my carpet. And then like, <laughs> I spent the next like five minutes hitting him on the head with my net. And he was just, why are you doing this to me? What? Why are you? <laughs> just like no self-awareness at all. <laughs> Does that kind of does that kind of stuff annoy you as a game designer? Just like, do you want it to be a bit more reactionary? I imagine everyone does. I imagine I, Nintendo do too. But being like, I, I really hate the the player. Like even things like this is such a simple example. But like when you play Pokemon Go and it the GPS freaks out and like, oh, you're going too fast, but you're like sitting on the toilet. You know, you can't play until you hit the button saying I'm a passenger. And, like, I'm not a passenger. I'm sitting on the toilet. There's no button that says that. This game want, need, is asking me to lie to it before I can play the game. That really pisses me off. Okay. That's, like, one of those little design foibles that, like, ah, I would never do such a thing. Why are they doing this? Right. And, and yeah, and things like, yeah, just, just being stuck in a situation where, like, I... The game is forcing you to care about something that, but that's not justifying it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it, <laughs> it's... So, in the Animal Crossing example, having to sell your carpet when you didn't want to, and then it oh being taken my god, away I wanted anyway. that carpet. I didn't even really like the carpet so much. I was just like, no, I'm keeping this carpet. Fuck you. <laughs> this is my carpet, dude. Yeah. Get away. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jim, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. It's been fascinating to talk about why you've chosen these and uh, the reasons as to why and um, I honestly implore anyone who's listening to both play Frog Fractions 1 and 2 and also to watch the documentary series about it it's incredibly fascinating if you have any interest in game design or especially as someone who does it as a hobby go do it It, you will gain so much value from it so the way you want to handle this is you want to start with Frog Fractions 1 um, and then you go watch the Frog Fractions 1 documentary, and then yes. you can make the decision about 2, because 2 is a much bigger investment in, of your time and money. I think anyone who watches the Frog Fractions 1 documentary alone will be interested enough to get the second game anyway. Cool. So I think you should do that. And Jim, thank you so much for coming on. It's been so much fun having you. Um, yeah, it's been fun. Thank you. It, is there anything you would like to tell the listeners before you leave uh, where they can find you, what they should be checking out? Obviously, we've spoken about it, but personally from you, where would you, where can they find you on the internet and stuff like that? Uh, so you can play all of my games except for Frog Fractions 2 on TwinBeard.com. Um, but I didn't put it on TwinBeard.com because I didn't want to spoil anything. Um, I am on Twitter as MogwaiPoet. That's M-O-G-W-A-I underscore P-O-E-T. Uh, and I record a video, uh, a hot dog, a hot dog cast. I record a podcast every week <laughs> with the Kingdom of Loathing people um, uh, called Video Games Hot Dog at videogameshotdog.com. Uh, and I guess, I guess that's uh, that's the bulk of it. I could give people my phone number, but that might not turn out well. 
<laughs> for you, maybe. No, I think it'd be okay for oh. me. Oh, man. I, might, might... I might be wanting to get the phone calls in Pan Am. That's like... true. Yeah. yeah. You, uh, the hotline, the I'm Lonely hotline. That's right, yeah. Please call me. I'm stuck in Spelunky kind of thing. Right. <laughs> yes, thank you so much, Jim. Um, thank you so much for listening as well. Um, you can find Final Games on the internet as well. You can find it on SoundCloud. You can find it on iTunes if you search for Final Games. We appear pretty much every week within those charts somewhere so you can find us pretty easily do do those wonderful things that podcasters always want you to do please rate and review the show it really does help um you can also find the show on twitter at final game show and you can also find me on twitter at liam bme where mostly i have been talking about breath of the wild and also the same old japan things that a lot of people dig so thank you so much for listening to this episode of Final Games. And thank you so much to Jim for joining me. I hope you'll join me again next week. And goodbye. Good night, everybody.